Hey, it's Mark. Pharma's direct-to-consumer ad spending rose 5.6% to $7.6 billion in 2022, from $7.2 billion in 21. Drug makers ramped up TV investment by 1.6% to $5.8 billion. Digital, encompassing display, video, and social, surged 45.2% to nearly $1.2 billion. Those totals are courtesy of Nielsen Ad Intel, which tracks media investment. And brands desire more control over all that spend. Where most pharma organizations are today is that they have an internal media team that's responsible for setting the strategy and overarching management, but they still integrate with a media agency for buying and what's called flighting of that media. While it's far more the exception than the norm at this point, some pharma brands have moved their media buying function in-house, the most notable example being Bayer. Earlier this year, I interviewed a couple of Bayer's media execs about this effort, and the piece elicited a fair amount of feedback. Given the complexity of media planning and buying, there's one issue that brands, agencies, and consultancies that I interviewed expressed concern over, and that's the recruiting, training, and retention of talent. Media talents will remain in high demand for the foreseeable future. To delve into some of the ways Bear was able to surmount the talent challenge and other facets of their experience, which we still understand is somewhat unique, we felt it warranted a follow-up conversation. And so coming up is my interview with Glennis Richards, Senior Director of Digital Media Activation at Bear. And Lesh is here with a health policy update. Hi, Mark. Today, I'll recap the latest push in drug pricing regulation, a new Biden administration proposal that aims to increase transparency around Medicaid prescription drug costs. And Jack, you've got three new items to talk about from the social media world, right? Yes, Mark. For this week's social media segment, Fall Out Boy's guitarist returns from a mental health hiatus, a Mako Zempic intro for the Kardashian show, and a Reddit thread on the constipation slash bowel movement issues around Ozempic and Wagovi. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Mark Iskowitz here, Editor-at-Large for MMM, and I'm sitting down virtually, as it is, with Glennis Richards, Senior Director, Digital Media Activation at Bear. Bear is growing exponentially and enhancing its digital media operations. Uh, it's about three years into the journey, and it's successfully built the talent and the technology to run digital media enhancing at scale. And uh, to our knowledge, uh, it remains the only pharma company that seems to have done this in the industry although others may have experimented with some smaller scale pilots. I interviewed Glennis and Brian Cantwell, Bear's VP of Digital Strategy and Operations, uh, back in March about the effort. Uh, and that piece went online and was also uh, appeared in the April print issue of MMM. We'll include a link to that piece in the description. Uh, and Brian posted about the article on LinkedIn. And judging by the 80 or so likes and, and comments that his post elicited, Glennis and I felt that it warranted a follow-up conversation. And so that's what we're here to do today. Uh, we'll talk about some of the reaction to the piece and get Glennis's take on the media landscape and what it means for pharma. Glennis, welcome to the MMM podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really appreciate you uh, coming. You're in the studio, actually. I'm virtually, uh, kind of, so you're turning the tables on me here, but um, <laughs> really excited to do this. So uh, let's just start by getting some definitions um, out, out of the way. Talk about what you mean by uh, the term in-housing and exactly what Bear has done. Sure. So I guess just kicking it off, uh, you mentioned we're three years in. Um, we're no longer in housing, right? We are in house and uh, we certainly feel that we were very successful there. Our definition of 
in-housing or the the process where we in-house digital media is um, bringing in through and through from soup to nuts, the entire digital media capabilities uh, from strategy to planning to media activation and measurement. Um, so bringing in the all digital capabilities for the business across the U.S. Bayer Pharma portfolio. Right. So planning, activation and measurement. Um, and the reason you did this. Driving cost efficiencies and, and taking control and ownership of um, all of our campaigns, as well as in preparation for industry changes. We mentioned in the article we were planning and anticipating the deprecation of the cookie where Safari certainly have done that. Google is planning it and expected to release in 2024. So it's certainly been a journey to prepare for some of those industry changes and, and also drive further efficiencies and taking control of our media dollars. Sure, sure. All uh, very legitimate reasons. And um, kudos for acting on the deprecation of the cookie and a lot of the changes that people are talking about, but you don't necessarily see, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, coordinated movements, you know, to, to get out in front of that. And the status, as you mentioned, is you are in-house, no longer uh, in-housing. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. Um, obviously, a, a big backbone to this or a rate limiting factor, if you will, to that effort is the talent aspect. Um, I see you're expanding, looking to expand the team. Talk about that for a moment I, and, and what you refer to in the article as triple threat talents that you're looking to either recruit or develop. Sure. So we went from three since the first article to, to 15, and we do have two roles still open. Our approach is really around uh, leveraging our our networks, internal referrals and external referrals. Our, some of our partners have certainly been re really integral in, in helping us to recruit or find the appropriate talent. The journey would not have been successful without those triple threat talent individuals, those who are challenging status quo and not looking to just remain stagnant, looking for innovations on a continual basis. Our paid search team is bridging gaps or, or jumping into uncharted waters, uh, activating video campaigns and, and looking for additional ways to activate native or, or programmatic display within their platform. So our approach is certainly referrals, networks, and, and internally once our team is here, feeding those curious, uh, curious and innovative mindsets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it could be, it could be triple, it could be quadruple or quintuple, <laughs> you know, when you talk about <laughs> programmatic display, uh, paid search, paid social TV, etc. Um, so you really have to be flexible and nimble to work in today's uh, media. And on that note, like having these triple threat individuals or, or our team is uh, great in the sense of it gives us the ability to flex up, flex down. Um, the organization has grown within the past two to three years, supporting new indications across the different brands. Agencies are able to flex up, flex down very quickly. It's it's a challenge that we've, we've combated internally, being able to cross cross the aisle and, and help support the strategy and, and implementation of the media campaigns. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, while your team has grown, um, also uh, your media budget um, has doubled over the last two years, as you as you pointed out in the article, uh, to support U.S. growth and keep pace. With a couple of current launches, you mentioned uh, prostate cancer men, Nubeca, and Carendia, which is a drug for patients with both chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes. Um, I noticed that you're you're not set on uh, recruiting folks with pharma experience. Uh, so um, obviously you're you're looking to broaden your horizons a bit. Talk about how you're finding talent and cultivating it. Sure. So pharma experience is not the end all be all. Uh, we are certainly looking for individuals with expertise and experience within the category or within the channel. Um, we we spoken at the transform event a couple of weeks ago and we spoke about the the shifts in CTV and linear um, individuals coming outside of um, pharma may have way more experience than um, you know those in pharma and how to activate um, so certainly cultivating and recruiting those individuals and uh, cultivating those talents and ensuring that you know they have the appropriate tech stack to help execute that. Um, more recently, we activated Addressable TV across our two, two of our, our, our brands um, programmatically, not necessarily something that is a, a new thing per se, but certainly something that we've seen is newer to the industry being more targeted and, and more innovative for the brands and ensuring we're reaching our audiences. Um, so we're, we're following the trends. And um, certainly making sure that our team members have the appropriate space to um, challenge status quo and, and go outside of the, the norms within our industry. Sure, sure. Uh, switch gears for a moment and uh, talk about one of the other uh, big benefits uh, that you've seen uh, in, in, in this process. Um, as one of the people that commented on the, on the LinkedIn post said, they support internalizing media operations simply because the, the insights and data are simply too much to to miss out on, you know, by uh, allowing that to be outsourced. Talk about which which insights and data do you feel are so valuable that you've benefited from, and, and that maybe are too valuable to leave to an outside agency. The measurement, um, for sure, uh, getting the appropriate data and insights that lead to real time actions within our campaigns. Just circling back to our definition of what have we defined as the in-housing of digital media and those capabilities um, include the measurement component. We've also in-house and build up a uh, digital analytics team to to support our efforts. They work hand in hand with the execution and strategy teams. They are continuously looking at the media to help inform decisions and, and we're able to react. So 100% agree. It is too valuable to leave on the table and, and leave to an external agency to support. Um, we're looking to be quick, fast, agile, um, as opposed to waiting on monthly agency connects to understand how is our media performing. Right. So it's not, it's not just one data point or two data points. It's measurement as a whole. You know, you're, you're now able to act on it a lot quicker because you don't have to wait, as, as you say, for those monthly check-ins with the agency. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, we talked about a little bit at the earlier that Bear is, is kind of leading the charge here. It's, it's really the only one that's done it to this extent. And, um, 
you know, we've seen some different flavors. We were talking offline about how some of the holding companies are introducing their own proprietary media trading platforms uh, in an effort to decrease non-working uh, media spend, you know, overhead, things like that. But, um, you know, it's, it seems like the, there's a lot, of, a lot of white space between what else is happening in the industry and what a company like Bear is doing. But you, you do work with some trading platform or some networks like PulsePoint and, and Trade Desk uh, for health-specific media trading, right? Absolutely. We work with those, um, you know, tried and true platforms. They are experts in, in the space. Um, in terms of testing or looking at other platforms, we're not there, right? Um, we, we're confident in the tech stack that we've selected. Um, we're confident in our partners that we are actively working on. Um when looking or considering new technology, it's what's the value prop or what what are we gaining from, you know, exploring additional platforms and in terms of testing. So, I mean, kudos to them in terms of, uh, you know, building out additional technologies to um, provide solutions for organizations. We're just really comfortable and and really satisfied with you know, the experts at PulsePoint and Trade Desk and, and various other partners that we work with who are committed to the success of, um, you know, our Bayer campaigns aligning with our internal media team. Mm -hmm. Great. Let's uh, shift gears one more time and talk a little bit about perhaps what's new for you all on the media front. Can you talk about, you know, some of the, uh, the newer media formats that uh, your team um, is engaging in? Sure. So formats are not necessarily new, but tying into our talent, you know, we're, we're testing or looking to activate campaign beta campaigns within various different platforms, uh, testing status quo, right? So with Microsoft have a significant amount of new advancements for pharma. We're certainly looking to explore those, um, which push our team out of the standard paid search uh, vertical and testing more native ads or video ads, etc. Also, in, in terms of uh, pushing status quo, activating, as I'm, I believe I mentioned, uh, adjustable TV programmatically, not leveraging an agency to reach those users 100% just on linear buys or, or through direct IOs. We're activating it through our existing platforms, which drives further efficiencies and, um, you know, better targeting as well. Uh, so a couple of betas um, in the pipeline won't dig into all the details, but we're certainly exploring and looking to push various test and learns across all channels. And, um, and Glennis, I heard that, uh, you know, you have, you can talk about, you know, one perhaps case study of addressable TV with, with uh, one or two of the brands that we mentioned earlier, Carendia and Nubeca, right? Sure. So, I mean, we've activated addressable TV, across uh Nubeka, Carendia, and and we've we've had cases where the ads were seen in the wild um during primetime TV and live sports, uh which is which is great to hear. Um I personally have not seen it uh, you know, on my TV screen, but you know, those individuals who are likely within our target audience's half, which is, you know, really important to know that our, our media is effective. Um, it, it certainly is um, doing its job and, and aligns with, you know, part of the reason why we in-house, right? It's, it's efficiency. Um, it's, it's the control. It's, it's being extremely targeted, um, you know, 
live sports, Knicks games, uh, Nubeka showing up during that that time um, for the right individual to receive that message is is really um, rewarding. Yeah, so certainly uh, going out to um, specific audience, you know, uh, watching the the, the Knicks uh, game, you know, if they're playing the Heat, I think in the, in the playoffs with a message about prostate cancer, you know, sounds like, you know, hitting on a, on a good audience there. And, uh, um, as you pointed out, addressable TV is a good way to attract cord cutters. So you're, um, really flexing and and leveraging this to, to really get to audiences you might not be able to get to as effectively. So sounds like a smart, smart approach. Um, I wanted to switch gears yet again and just kind of get your take on the media landscape. You know, after the Q1 earnings, we saw, from a brand perspective, the media brand perspective, that, uh, you know, Comcasts were down, you know, in terms of their uh, linear TV advertising revenue for uh, networks like NBCU. Uh, on the flip side, the Amazons of the world reported increases in their digital advertising revenue, which kind of, again, speaks to that slow trend of the decline of linear TV, uh, you know, giving way to digital the proliferation of, of other media channels uh, for the for the advertising dollar, and pharma is kind of going along with that. There, you know, huge digital media outlays that we saw uh, in early 2020 perhaps have come down a bit um, from those lofty purchase purchases. But you know, if you look at the Nielsen, you know, DTC data, pharma DTC spend actually went up again last year. And so they're still putting a lot of money, uh, and, that, and that includes digital as well. Uh, as well. But linear, linear did did kind of did go up as well. Uh, anyway, I uh, wanted to get your take on what all that means uh, for pharma. Sure. So linear still plays an important part of within a media plan, right? Um, however, we're focused on on reaching people. Um, so digital is the the right path like like our path or or at least my path is to always go digital can we reach the right audience um can we drive efficiency can we measure the campaign and as close to real time as possible um so that we can react pivot and adjust the campaigns so that it makes sense so aligning with that or just seeing the metrics and the the shift where you know digital has crossed linear um, certainly, I think it's going to continue, continue down that path. Um, but we'll certainly say linear is still a very important part of um, a, a media plan. Um, and I would I would actually say that it should still be on media plans if it if it makes sense, especially dependent on the life cycle of the brand or your new brand. Where where are you in the overall life cycle? Interesting. I would I would think that, you know, earlier on. Um, linear would be more effective, you know, because you want to have as broader reach, you know, as possible. But then once you get into uh, more mature brands and it, it, it shifts to direct to patient perhaps versus direct to consumer, uh, that you want to get more focused and targeted, but you're saying linear really has a place later in the life cycle. No, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Linear, I think, has a place for those early stage, newer, um, okay. newer brands. So it certainly it certainly holds a great place for that broad reach um, just to raise that that brand awareness, whereas the digital is always going to be really effective and focused on those, you know, targeted audiences and, and for those later life cycle uh, brands, certainly always go digital. 
Absolutely great. I'm sorry, I was misunderstanding you there. A um, couple more questions and I'll let you go, Glenneth. Um, what would you say um, is the uh, biggest, what was the biggest challenge, you know, in getting to this point and uh, in, in becoming in-housed? <laughs> biggest challenge? Um, well, three years in, uh, certainly the talent, right? Like it's, it's, it, it took time um, while also, uh, managing the campaigns. Um, so I think that that is the ultimately, ultimately the biggest challenge, uh, transitioning off your, um, your agencies while getting the right talent pool in place. It's not something that we took lightly. Um, not something that, you know, we just snapped our fingers and, and had the right team members in. It certainly took a significant amount of effort um, and certainly, you know, working with our partners, working with our internal teams and, and having all the support and commitment behind it made it easier. But it certainly was a long process. Yeah. How many people are on the team now, if you don't mind me asking? So for media, we, we are at 15 um, with two roles open. Okay. Okay, great. And what's on the horizon uh, for your team uh, in, in addition to expansion? <laughs> um, horizon, uh, certainly expansion and supporting, you know, future brands or other indications and, and things like that. We're also really focused on reducing fragmentation within the media. Um, so got to throw out this buzzword, omni-channel, 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 right? So making sure that that fragmentation is reduced across the board, um, growing our strategic partnerships and, and strengthening those year over year is certainly um, a, a continued push for us as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure from where you're sitting, uh, you're, you're in the thick of the, the shift to omni-channel as we interview a lot of agencies uh, for our a100, um, you know, we're, we're seeing from the agency perspective, some of those agencies that handle both DTC and HCP for a brand, they say that that allows them to uh, achieve a greater engagement than if, than if the brand allowed them to do either one on its own. Uh, but that really, you know, kind of is, is, is omni-channel in its purest sense, I think, kind of you're, you're really syncing up the channels there mm-hmm. by giving one agency, you know, uh, the remit to do, to do both. And uh, rather than siloing it, is that would you agree with that, that that's kind of one permutation of how uh, that journey is taking place? I agree. Um, that is certainly one permutation or you, brand can also in-house. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. Right. And keep that, it all, um, keep it, keep it all internally and, and certainly uh, develop that, that, cons- that customer journey and develop some of those uh, conversations between doctor and patient. Right. So, Owning sure, I'm, I'm talking about from a creative perspective, I should say, not yeah, necessarily a media yeah. perspective, but yeah, go ahead. From a, from a media perspective and creative perspective, um, you know, having both campaigns in, in play from, from one team can certainly organically um, develop some of those conversations, right? And, and manage that overall journey um, from a creative perspective, so... I agree. That's certainly one of the permutations for Omnichannel. Yeah, great. Okay, well, this has really been a fascinating conversation, Glennis. I really want to thank you again uh, for joining us. Uh, and, uh, you know, the article was a lot of fun, uh, and it was fun to talk about, you know, the reaction to it um, and kind of do, you know, a wrap-up on it. So uh, thank you again. Thank you.
Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. The Biden administration is continuing to push for more regulation on drug pricing in the year following the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Last week, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services introduced a new proposal that would seek to lower drug costs in Medicaid and increase transparency around them. The rule would make it easier for CMS to identify why certain drug prices are so high for Medicaid through tools like a drug price verification survey. It would also take aim at pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, by requiring more transparency around what they're paying manufacturers for medications. The idea is to reduce spread pricing, or the PBM practice of raising the price of the drug for insurers or Medicaid-managed care plans, and then pocketing the difference, which can contribute to high drug prices for patients. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra noted in a statement that, quote, we are advancing unprecedented efforts to increase transparency in prescription drug costs, being good stewards of the Medicaid program and protecting its financial integrity. He added the proposed rule would save states and the federal government money. The proposed rule comes amid a recent bipartisan push in Congress to craft legislation to reform the PBM system and rein in spread pricing. I'm Lesha Bouchek, senior reporter at MMM. Social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, social media update. And this is the part of the broadcast we welcome Jack O'Brien to tell us what's trending on healthcare social media. Hey, Jack. Hey there, Mark. So before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Liam Hendricks, a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, who returned to the mound over the weekend after a battle with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. First pitch, Liam Hendricks, 96, strike one. Five months after he was diagnosed with cancer, Hendricks received a minute-long standing ovation from the Southside Faithful at Guaranteed Rate Field and threw a 96-mile-per-hour strike as his first pitch back. So obviously good news there on that front, wishing him the best. We're going to go into our first story here, which is all about Fallout Boy. Their guitarist and founding member Joe Troman announced on Monday on Instagram that he has returned to the band following a months-long hiatus to focus on his mental health. Hey, everyone, I'm officially back, he wrote on the social platform. I want to thank everyone for the love and support while I took some time away to focus on my brain and get healthy for my family, my friends, and myself. Troman stepped away from the pop rock band in January, announcing on social media that he was feeling the effects of burnout and that his mental health had rapidly deteriorated over the past several years. The band temporarily replaced Troman with Ben Young, who he thanked in his Instagram post for substituting for him. Troman's return comes as Fall Out Boy prepares for a North American tour next month before it performs legs in Europe and Japan later this year. In light of the ongoing dynamic shift in terms of how mental health is discussed in America, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, Troman's decision to speak publicly about his behavioral issues is admirable. This is especially true following a number of high-profile suicides among celebrities in recent years, such as Stephen Twitch Boss, Anthony Bourdain, and Kate Spade, among others. And Lesh, I don't know if you, like me, grew up on Fallout Boy, but this is obviously great news to be able to see somebody focusing a lot on their mental health and coming back and being able to support a, a band that uh, certainly speaks to millions. Yeah, I know that the sort of like... Uh emo mid-aughts nostalgia hasn't hit quite yet, but it probably will in the next 10 years or so. So I'm sure a lot of, um, you know, fans of, you know, pop punk bands are feeling glad that he's sort of talking about his mental health and bringing that up in in the national spotlight. Yeah, I was reading one study that that showed that uh, more than 73% of independent musicians experience symptoms of mental illness. uh, And that was before the pandemic. So 
really high number. And uh, a lot of organizations um, are coming up that have are focused exclusively on mental health for uh, the music industry. And uh, like one of them pointed out that there is, there is no human resources, you know, unit in most of these organizations, you know, that's, this is a, there's no governing body um, over the music industry. Um, and that's why a lot of these issues kind of go unresolved. You know, just like you said, Jack, it's good to see him sharing and normalizing the conversation. Absolutely. And I think it's also good to see him kind of going against the typical rock trope he even mentioned in an interview back in January when he was announcing his decision that Neil Young has that famous quote that it's better to burn out than to fade away. And he was basically like, not for me. I don't want to do that. So it was kind of admirable being seeing him stand up and be like, you know, I'm going to prioritize myself. I'm going to take the time off. And, you know, they're going on a big tour. I'm sure that's going to be its own stress in itself, kind of like what you talk about, Mark, that that's something that most musicians face. But, you know, being able to have those coping skills and resources available, I'm sure will make it all that much easier once they get out there. Yeah. And just one, one further point, sorry. Uh, as I was on a road trip this past Memorial Day weekend, one of the ads that came on, um, I was listening to uh, uh, you know, app-based radio station, was for one of the online virtual care dot coms. Uh, and uh, they were saying, you know, take care, the best way to take care of yourself is by taking care of your mental health. And it's, so it's really, you know, again, becoming more mainstream. Absolutely. These last two stories that we're going to talk about are not sponsored by Ozempic, but they have to do with Ozempic. So a parody video posted on TikTok over the weekend sets the opening montage to the Kardashians reality show to the audio from Novo Nordisk's commercial for the weight loss drug Ozempic. The video, which is just over 50 seconds long, is meant to mirror the common tropes found in traditional pharma marketing, with the six Kardashian women skating around a roller rink while the voiceover details the side effects of the drug. The comment section of the video, which already has more than 375,000 views, is filled with people noting how well the audio fits for the video and poking fun at rumors that the reality TV family has been using the drug off-label. It's important to note that Kim and Khloe Kardashian put those allegations to rest last week, rejecting claims that they lost weight by taking the drug and instead asserting that it was due to diet and exercise. Still, the video leans into the general public's interest in Ozempic, especially given how many celebrities have confirmed using it or have been rumored to use it. And I, I give whoever this, this TikTok user and uh, you can find it linked <laughs> online, but it, it cracked me up. I, my, my fiance showed it to me and I was like, okay, we're going to have to talk about that on the show because it just kind of ties in perfectly where somebody took the time to basically take the audio, put it over the Kardashians and it's well on its way to going somewhat viral. Yeah. Very, very creative mashup there. And, um, you know, just the, just the search Kardashian Ozempic uh, on TikTok has 47 billion views. Uh, so, you know, needless to say, speculation concerning uh, the Kardashian suspected use of Ozempic has been rampant, uh, I think, since last year. So this is uh, just the latest sign, I suppose. Yeah. And if, you know, whether or not the Kardashians are actually using Ozempic, we do know that a lot of celebrities and TikTok influencers and other social media influencers are using it for weight loss and have been sort of touting it. So they're definitely driving some of the demand that uh, we've been seeing for that drug. And kind of dovetailing that into our last story here as it relates to the off-label use of Ozempic and its sibling drug, Wagovi. Problems have mounted for Novo as it relates to keeping up with the demand. And obviously, they've had to alter their advertising campaigns accordingly, their supply accordingly. But they're not the only ones having issues. Some users of Ozempic have also been dealing with an entirely different problem altogether, which is pooping their pants and the bed. A Reddit thread called Sleep Shits 
features people using Ozempic or Wagovi and details their retention issues in candid, at times funny, detail. Quote, I literally shit myself while sleeping, an anonymous poster wrote. That's a first. Been a tough few days of diarrhea after my first semaglutide injection. Another commenter responded, quote, it'll all be worth it when you're able to fit into a smaller adult diaper. Others have complained in private Facebook groups and in TikTok testimonials about issues with constipation and dehydration as a result of using the GLP-1 drugs. Still, as with so many claims and information found online, it's worth taking these anecdotes with a grain of salt. Dr. Eric Goldstein, a gastroenterologist in New York City, told Insider that while digestive issues are known side effects of this class of drugs, how widespread and severe they are is likely overblown on social media. So... On the one hand, people are obviously losing weight, getting their diabetes symptoms and side effects under control. On the other hand, there are people that are using it off-label and are, you know, obviously losing weight. We've seen that again in some of the speculation with celebrities or influencers. But then there's other people that are kind of reaping these less than desirable uh, side effects, Mark. Yeah, and and with the GLP ones, Jack, you know, it's no secret that uh, you know nausea and diarrhea were reported side effects um, in, in some of the clinical trials. Uh, but the, I should you know point out that these issues are not brand new to the obesity category, you know, uh, while they may seem taboo for this podcast. It's nothing new for the obesity category. Uh, back in 2006, uh, when GlaxoSmithKline was applying to the FDA to take Orlistat, also known as Zenical, over-the-counter, its side effects, including gas, incontinence, and something called oily stools, uh, prompted a concern from the FDA. Then again, the agency ultimately approved the application, and today Orlistat is sold OTC as Ally or Ally. Um, so I guess those side effects were deemed manageable without a doctor's involvement. Uh, but the, the GLP-1's research has shown that nausea and diarrhea are the most prominent side effects, and um, older medications may help with those adverse events, but they don't have the weight loss efficacy, of course, of, of the newer drugs like Wagovi and, and Ozempic used off-label. So uh, I suppose it's a trade-off. Yeah, you know, I took a look at that Reddit uh, subreddit mm -hmm. for, for the drug after you, you brought this up. And it's just so interesting to see, you know, there's new posts every couple minutes, every couple hours, not just about some of the gastrointestinal issues, but all these other side effects that people are claiming and these personal anecdotes of their experiences on the drug, like, you know, their appetite for certain foods or not, or like they're feeling sluggish or they feel amazing, or it's just really interesting. It's like, almost between, you know, these Reddit subreddit conversations or TikTok, uh, people kind of um, explaining their uh, symptoms and their experiences. It's like we're watching this like real time experiment, this weight loss, uh, off-label weight loss use experiment play out. So it's just really interesting to, to see people really kind of detailing their personal anecdotes on this drug. And I know that a lot of the medical marketing leaders that we've talked to always talk about like, you know, if you can tap into the various talks of social media, if you have whatever medical condition or using some sort of drug. And this, to your point, Lesha, is a real time example of like, OK, this is a widely used off label drug. And all of a sudden people are reaching out in real time trying to figure out, hey, are you dealing with the same thing that I'm dealing with right. and, and connecting in a way? So it's interesting from that kind of marketing and patient education standpoint. I'm not sure it's probably the way that anybody who works in this industry would like to see it go, but right. it's kind of the way it is. Yeah, this is a big, you know, change from like the early days of like social media monitoring when you had 
threads like this debating like warfarin, say, you know, and, and when new, um, you know, oral blood thinning drugs were coming out, you know, and people were, and then the marketers were kind of mining those um, threads that you guys are talking about um, for patient insights. It's a really, it's a great, great point, you know, about uh, seeing this play out in real time. This is uh, real intel from a marketer's perspective. But um, another Reddit thread I saw from a year ago was talking about constipation, you know, associated with, with these drugs. So it seems to be kind of a wide variety of uh, side effects there. Yeah. Once you go down that Reddit rabbit hole, you can find all sorts of... <laughs> find just about anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good, bad, or otherwise. That's it for this week. The MMM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Gordon Failer, Lesha Bushak, and Jack O'Brien. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sone. Rate, review, and follow every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every week. And be sure to check out our website, mmm-online.com, for the top news stories in pharma marketing. <laughs> <laughs>